This episode of the Randy Russell Podcast is brought to you by Gluten-Free Counter. Gluten-free dining in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and beyond. On Instagram. Find this in future episodes at rspeen.com and on Apple Podcasts. Questions or comments, email us at rrpodcast2000 at gmail.com. Today's guest host, John Sunday, is a musician living in Minneapolis, Minnesota. John goes by J.E. Sunday and is also known for his former band, the Daredevil Christopher Wright. John and his music can be found through his website, jesunday.com. Welcome to the Randy Russell Podcast. I'm your host, John Sunday, and I'm here with uh, a man who's working on the his 37th volume in a compendium of all human knowledge and is seriously debating uh, digitizing it, actually, um, uh, Mr. Randy Russell. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Glad to have you. And, uh, yeah, the digitizing is going very slowly. Yeah, well, I can I I totally understand the uh, push towards that. You know, um, it seems to be the thing these days. You know, I'm particularly worried about the cloud uh, lately, though, because of all the hacking and uh, getting this message every day on my my Apple devices that say you need to sign into your iCloud account. Yeah, and which who I even remembers I, how I can, to do that. Well, I, yeah, I don't remember my password. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I kind of have a th a theory that Apple is just like doesn't save anybody's password, and so like I don't think anybody actually can, for the in the, the first time they attempt it, access their iCloud. That's probably true. Yeah, even if you knew if you knew your password, you it probably wouldn't work. Although considering the like insecurity of the system, maybe that would be a more secure, you know, uh, strategy. Um, just looking at all these data breaches. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not <clears throat> I'm not worried because I got the hard copy. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I heard an interesting conversation with somebody talking about how, you know, we have like, we're existing in the moment where we have more, uh, more information, more uh, like we're, we're archiving more things than have ever before in human history, but also we're like, like one kind of massive power failure against like uh, uh, away from like losing, you know, everything because we don't have any stable like storage system. It's all become, we've become so reliant on, right. on yeah. the digital. I know. Yeah. Form. And I, I used to, I know I used to do everything well as before pre-internet and, and that, you know, I typed on a typewriter Yeah, and, uh, and eventually switched over to a word processor because it's hard not to. Once right. You realized it was easier than a typewriter. But then um, I used to do things in print where I'd, I did zines for a lot of years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I had all these zines and made out a typewriter, and I still have copies of them. And even with moving a lot, and I've moved a lot over the years mm -hmm. where I've lost everything, I still have tons of stuff like that. Yeah. Now everything I write is on my computer, and it could all be gone. Yeah. I have to think about that. So I started thinking recently, I, I'm going to try to publish some things, hard copies, you know, with the hard copies again. Yeah. Just to, 
in case the like last 10 years that I was working on this thing isn't gone. <laughs> I think it's probably wise. I think it's probably wise. It's, it's kind of, it's crazy to me that like, it just makes me think, you know, you hear about these stories of like, um, like certain art movements historically where, um, you know, some archeologists, they think like this, the advent of this kind of art tech, artistic technique, it, it took, you know, some kind of perspective thing or some kind of, um, just painting, uh, innovation like to happened in this certain era, but then they uncover some archeological evidence of finding a painting that like somebody had figured that out years before, but then some kind of civil, you know, the dark ages happened and all this knowledge Mm -hmm. was lost. And like, if we're going to have like a similar thing, you know, where it's like, we've developed all these things, but then we just kind of lose it. And then somebody in a thousand years invents like a typewriter and we're like, this is incredible. You won't believe what I did. Yeah, for what? Yeah, losing it for different reasons. You could lose it too. Yeah, over history, and uh, I've been fascinated by that notion of like, uh, that you know, these people whom we we like historically have considered the like grand innovators and the like geniuses um, may prove to be like just copies of some other you know they just happen to be the ones that have been preserved somehow Mm -hmm. and there was actually a way better guy who was doing it at the time but his stuff just uh got you know there was a flood in the basement and right and it didn't didn't survive i've thought about that with with music too from being involved in music scenes i was playing punk rock and i was in music scene back in like ohio in the early 80s Mm -hmm. and the bands i were in we just refused to do record records because we th- really? thought like we have, we have no money and then one, one band that we'd see every week uh that we liked a lot did a single okay and then their single came out and, and we we just made fun of it as we said like you just this doesn't sound anything like you you know we love you as a live band and the single's yeah, yeah. terrible and then but then i like you know 30 years later uh now that single sounds great yeah yeah you know and, and i think like well, we were idiots not to <laughs> To record something because we have no record of it now. Yeah, and now that that does sound like the band. Yeah, it's funny how that I don't know just all the layers of like informing that opinion of your in that time. You know, like the kind of philosophy around like authenticity or just like yeah, even kind of thinking that a recording has to be a, a pure like expression of the live experience too. Right. Like not yeah. affording a level of like. Well, you're in a studio and you're trying some different things or it's also just really hard to capture the live energy in a record that's like something i feel like people are pursuing for yeah their for sure as and plus people are going into the studio a lot of not, not having done it before yeah so they're totally. doing this for the first time right and they're not a lot of things are not in their control um they're doing the best they can yeah totally but now it just seems like i wish we would have made records yeah Oh, we made some cassettes. That's good. That's <laughs> so, good. That I'm, I'm some. My family is not a huge like art. We just ha- don't aren't great archivers. Uh, like we don't do a lot of photography and stuff. And me personally, I'm not. I'm not very diligent by that. But like the thing I'm most consistent about, and I guess the thing I care most about. Well, one of the things anyway, is just yeah, archiving the the records I make. Like, I'm glad that's that's a you know expression of an era for me and a time period and that that right, exists yeah. and that's been captured 
like that's something I definitely value and and I'm excited by the idea of like down the road having this like well this is this is my catalog of work you know mm -hmm. yeah that I can kind of come back to well it's nice if you do stuff and you're and you're happy with it at the time too because yeah. then later on you probably you probably will be more happy with it and it's not likely that later you're gonna go oh that was wrong that's bad yeah I it's a it it seems like it generally works yeah in the other direction like if it's well I don't know I guess it, it, it that's not necessarily the case um, like I don't know I find that sometimes my emotional like the emotion of creating the project, like the stress of getting it done or, or uh, um, yeah, the worries that like are present in that time kind of color my experience if I do have a sense of like uncertainty about what I'm making or something, right. but then oh, like yeah. with a little bit of distance and perspective, like that, those waters kind of calm down and I can be like, yeah. I've gotten a lot better over the years of being like not obsessing about making and the one thing I'm making now be the ultimate perfect thing. I just, I've kind of surrendered that mm -hmm. idea that yeah. that's a possibility. And which has been beneficial for me in terms of right. just being less precious, less obsessive. It's about probably that. good to get over that because you just can be kind of paralyzing. I think so. Yeah. Do you hear people's, you hear records of the bands, you know, these the records that are the iconic records and mm -hmm. you think, oh, that, that was just the one that was the existing copy of that existing record of that and it's maybe they may have all hated it and, i know and, and said well that's the best we can do it now and but you know we're moving on and uh and that one exists forever uh, yeah and that is the why that's wild to me when you hear people something that like the the community has so embraced the community of listeners has so embraced and loved um and then you find out that the the musicians or whatever are like lukewarm about it or just like yeah. really don't like it just that i mean i guess it's an expression of that strange thing with art where you know it doesn't it isn't yours in a certain light or it's the like the ownership and the like the who kind of puts their stamp of approval or not on it kind of you, once it leaves your hands then it's out in the world and it's yeah kind of you crazy. have to accept that yeah i've heard people talk about that yeah they, they just have to accept that that's what the audience thinks and yeah go along with it of course i, I just kind of wonder about the different personalities of the, you know the people who keep resisting that and then the yeah. ones who are who are like just buy into it and eventually buy into it and it's like everybody says i'm great you know right so, <laughs> must be right. true <laughs> I, I do the musicians I admire most. I mean, there are certainly folks that, and I can't fault them, like who, you know, made a bunch of records and maybe found some good success. And then at some point for whatever reason, I, and that I can't really judge, um, like choose to stop making music and, but continue to tour basically on, on playing these, the songs that they made that people. Right. People yeah. And that's a gig. And, that's cool but the people i admire the most are like i'm a huge paul simon fan and i'm a huge tom waits fan um these people who just perpetually are making new things mm -hmm. um yeah. leonard cohen fan and and don't but don't at the same time like shirk their past either like they you know right yeah 
like it's still a thing and they can still appreciate the work they've done but but they're they are still energized to be creating more and don't surrender that to the like i'm sure for them they you, i mean they could just tour on mm-hmm. you know their greatest hits for the rest of their life and they'd do very well you know <laughs> i'm sure somebody's trying to encourage them to do just that <laughs> probably um yeah, you'd like to think that they, that most, the people who you really like would want to keep creating new, new things. Yeah. yeah, although I just was talking to somebody who was saying that um, he heard an interview with Joni Mitchell, um, who's like, I think for the last like 30 years has been, and maybe prior to, while she was doing music as well, has been like a really interested in painting. And mm-hmm. she said that like, she lo- she fell out of love with doing music in like 1980 or 1982. <laughs> yeah. And it's just kind of been forcing it um, since. And now this, I guess she's got a recent, the most recent collection of work or like a record that she did of covers or something. She's like, this is my last musical project. And I'm just gonna, for, I'm planning to be rest of my life to devote just to painting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of a fascinating thing, which I guess it's kind of hard for me to believe that somebody would like just who is that talented within an art form, like be right. done yeah. with it. But I guess it's at the same time, I guess it, it doesn't seem completely unreasonable. Yeah. No, it makes total sense to me that people find some other art form that they like. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've often, I've done like a lot of different things. So, yeah. And I, and then I always feel like I'm not going to restrict myself to just one because I'm interested in all these things. Right. And I feel like people sometimes will think you should concentrate on one thing and get good, better at that rather than like spreading out your energy to different things. But if you're interested, you are. And there's yeah. a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people who are like musicians who are into painting. Right. And maybe their fame as a musician can help them in their painting career where they, where they would not, you know, have had any kind of uh, attention otherwise. Yeah. Um, but then, then also the people kind of don't take it seriously. As yeah, it's kind of say. a double-edged yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> who knows? That. I know if I if I had if I had like a hit song if I had hit music and I could make a living off of going out and playing my hit songs I would be doing it right now because yeah you know it's it would be I would like it's better than uh, you know cleaning that's <laughs> the truth so, it's I do it yeah um, but you know I would be doing other things too sure and yeah do you have do you have a particular thing that you're excited about right now that's more dominating the your kind of perspective or i've always i've always been more into writing than anything okay and um that's probably like the main thing i've done yeah but different things too i write like non sure. you know i write non-fiction reviews of things and essays and and mm-hmm. then also fiction and it's just it's hard it's hard to get an audience any audience for it sure and, and especially among your friends even maybe <laughs> more so <laughs> Because you just feel bad about, about telling people like you should read this that I wrote, which takes so much time and energy. Sure. Rather than all these other great things that you yeah. should read, and you know, there's so much good writing, and it just gets to be more and more. And, yeah. And, and and not. I struggle with that. The old stuff doesn't go away. <laughs> I struggle with that with music too. Just the you know, just the volume of the volume of thing, just the volume of options that are out there musically i I've, I've had this like image that has been kind of a comfort to me i guess as i've been kind of 
chewing on it, but the idea is like there's this like ocean of good stuff, right? Good art, good. And my, what I often think about it, just there's this ocean of good music, like, and of course this is a subjective thing, but you know, people who are like technically doing it well, the songs mm -hmm. are crafted well, the performance is done well. Um, and from that perspective, it's like pretty disheartening to me because I'm like, am I just like putting my thimble full of, you know, songs into this ocean of good music that, and it's just completely washed away. And um, but the thing that's been interesting to me and, and a comfort in terms of something that I can like aspire to is, it's still like the great stuff. And again, this is subjective. The great stuff from my perspective is still pretty rare when you come across mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and it's been encouraging me to realize like, oh, that's, there are these like, it does filter down to this kind of next level that really is pretty rare. And so if I can shoot to try to be one within that like group, and that doesn't necessarily mean that a lot of people are going to, more people are going to interact with it or it's going to be more successful by mm -hmm. any means. Obviously yeah. there's, I think I would say there's a lot of art that is pretty mediocre that is incredibly successful right. and a lot of incredible yeah. art that nobody's going to experience. Um, but in terms of my own like ambitions with the craft of songwriting and performing, it's like given me a hopeful, like at least at that level, like a goal to be like, I want to be like those those people i want to mm -hmm. be like those artists who who do shoot above this kind of ocean of like yeah undeniably good stuff you know right um yeah that's a good way to think about it that's yeah yeah why not yeah that's what you should be trying to do be the i think so and, uh, <laughs> which is funny because i just so i'm i'm on like um my performing rights organization is ascap right and they have mm -hmm. these different ones that you know monitor that stuff theoretically for you and and so i'm on their whatever email list and they just sent this email saying that as a member you can have a discounted uh access to this this uh online service called like song deconstruct or something that quarterly sends you a uh a breakdown of the um the musical trends in terms of structure, in terms of sound, in terms of, like I guess, lyrical idea of the the top 100, the, like the Billboard top 100 songs. Oh wow! Um, so it so then you can write to these trends, That's... and that is just kind of <laughs> gross to me. <laughs> and I at the same time I I understand the motive to like want this and and write to that and, but it just kind of bums me out in that it's like. There are brilliant people who are writing new stuff that you could be just putting your energy behind rather than like investing in just churning out this this stuff that sounds like whatever the flavor of the moment is. Yeah, I guess I, I guess they figure they have to, you know, that's part of their audience and that they have to, you know, if they, they if you can do it somehow analytically like that or figure out those trends, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can figure a computer can figure out how to make a hit, I mean, people are hungry to sort it out. And obviously, this is, like I, I'd heard about this in kind of a theoretical sense. I feel like somebody joking about this being a thing, and so just to see this, like that, this is actually a service now, was like, ugh, this is. I responded to the emails with the word yuck. Yeah, that's good. Well, I, so I sticking feel it to about the, that, yeah. sticking it to them. 
Well, I don't even know where where the top music is. I mean, where like where do you even listen to it? That's uh, yeah. That's it's like all a, crazy to me. Like we're in such a diffuse moment that I mean, there are certainly there's st certainly still people that are pulling a, a way much wider audience and things like that. But it is like more than ever before. There is just this. I mean, we're in a niche culture. Like we have mm -hmm. the infinite. The long tail economics of the internet, yeah. you know? So, I mean, that's interesting with writing too. I feel like that, and I've been thinking about this for my songs is like, if I could really what all I need to do is like garner this little sliver of people in terms of the global sense. And yeah. if I could just connect to this little sliver of folks, that would be enough. I think I could kind of get benefit enough economically to make this work. Um, granted, it's no small feat to connect to that community, but yeah, I feel like with yeah. that, with like, there's so many tastes and everything, like even with writing and stuff, that there are, there's people. Yeah, there's a, there is a lot of people. How do you? I saw just last week. I saw an article about how that there was like there was like poetry books now selling huge amounts. Yeah, um, because the people are Instagram stars, so they use the Instagram. <laughs> to promote their poetry and you can and the instagram works so well as far as connecting to people yeah that there's certain people who've used that and then yeah and they they use their instagram for poetry and that sure and so now they're the publishing industry is shocked that there's these poetry bestsellers yeah. which there hasn't been for like ever <laughs> yeah oh man that's wild it's wild to think about that um a good friend of mine is a is a wonderful poet Name's Abby Zimmer, um, Abigail Zimmer, and uh, but she she was in town visiting because she was up. She also is takes part in like a the Lettered Streets Press. She has a press that she they put out. I think mostly poetry, maybe some prose essay writing. Mm -hmm. I can't remember, um, but by and large poetry. So she was at a like a book event fair kind of thing in the in the twin cities and um we're just talking about that that and uh and another friend who's just opened a bookstore i've been talking with these two ladies and um there's a couple publishers out of the twin cities gray wolf press mm -hmm. that is just like it's interesting because they're they they're like i think last year they had like nine authors on the national book award like oh, wow. on the contending for it kind of thing and they just this fella who's like a 29 year old poet just won who they've published his work won the london some big london annual london like poetry thing and he's the youngest guy to ever do that and it's this crazy thing where this little press um is just incredibly it seems to like have the golden touch in terms of finding these authors and everything right, that, yeah um but it's still like you know pretty like in that world and in that community and it's connecting to a lot of people um it's like really highly regarded and doing very well i think but it's also it's also this kind of stuff that you know i don't know how broad it's not john grisham you know i mean it's not like uh, michael Crichton or something like that in terms mm -hmm. of people's awareness of it it's still a pretty a fairly select kind of community that's got its ear to the ground that way yeah well, it's, those those awards really help for the the people who are not the huge bestsellers because right. the, the genre bestsellers the legitimacy. There's always been good publishing from Twin Cities. I'm, That's what I'm learning. It's, I've 
I've, I've thought about moving there forever too. And, and I've, I've known people over decades of different groups of people. Sure. I've had friends there. How long have you lived there? Did you? I've been there like, yeah, four and a half years or something like that. I grew up in a little town in Wisconsin that's kind of maybe an hour and a half um, east and a little north of there. So the Twin Cities were always like the cities, quote right, unquote, yeah. for me, you know. And so I, I've kind of floated around there my whole life and then went to college in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And so, mm-hmm. and I was playing music throughout that time. And so I would play in uh, Minneapolis. And of course, I had a lot of friends there. But yeah, so finally, after my whole life, I moved there four and a half years ago and been there. It's been great. It's been great. It's, it is really, a, I, I really like those Twin Cities. Yeah, I've, um, I, I had uh, used to do zines in the eighties, yeah. And I had, there's this whole zine community, and then I—that's who I knew a lot. When I first visited there, I, I stopped on driving across the country and visited my friend Joe Hoppy, and wow. he, you know, and stayed with them a week, you know, yeah. never having met them. So it was—it was really nice oh, having cool. that that community at that time. Yeah, um, it was that's my sense of like what the zine, it was a real connect the zine yeah. community from what i hear yeah for sure yeah and, and uh you know it was all male yeah the male so it was uh that's wild when how did you become aware of like national like the the zines throughout the country were there it was through uh, punk rock that i first did and yeah but there was you know simultaneously other people like fan different like fan culture sure um but i did through punk rock zines in the early 80s because there was a like, bunch of them in ohio mention other zines or something like yeah. how did you like find find out about the other ones well really really we yeah, have people always reviewed each other's hmm. so they people would mail that each other's zines to them and there was one out of columbus ohio called the offense that was really good yeah that just he would review, review other people's zines music oh, and, and letters yeah so people would write in letters to each other and and they would publish them and then there was this one called fact sheet five that was uh that reviewed every zine wow. that just got really big. Huh. And that one was, uh, so that was what everybody knew about Fact Sheet 5. Sure. And that's where you would, would send your zine and get it reviewed and you'd meet other, and find out other, yeah, about other similar stuff. Okay. And that went on for years and years. And wow. the original publisher of it sold it to another guy and he continued it for a long time. Yeah. Eventually did some like, published book collections of stuff. Sure. Huh. One of the few times I've had stuff actually published by like legitimate publishers was sure. when I had some stuff published in their Okay. their um collection, Vaxi ah, 5 collection. So that was that was the main the main thing that huh. kind of held it all things together. Yeah. I mean it could have worked without it, I think, but that helped a lot. That's cool. That's cool. I when I went to started going to college in Eau Claire, there was this fellow who was um, several years older than I, but had already, he was doing like a zine kind of for local arts and culture kind of zine that over the now 14 years since I first moved there for college, like it grew into like the arts and culture magazine and started publishing like 10,000 copies a week or whatever. And has, I mean, it's just grown enormously and has become this huge huge uh one of the primary like cultural like forces and incubators in the in the town it's just been like fascinating to like 
I, I I've never had that perspective before of a, of a like peer that started and had ambitions to like be developing culture and community mm-hmm. in that town already there and was doing that with the zine and it's just just grown since into this like to be a real like influence in the city it's been kind of what's the name of that volume one is the oh. is the publication and and now they have kind of a local and regional arts store and he he's a part owner in a boutique motel music motel that they renovated and created like an event like performance space in and i don't know it's just been like wild to like be like a have a have a have that perspective of seeing that grow (laughs) yeah it'd be fun yeah fun to watch yeah watch that happen it was i've never seen something like that so it's kind of it's kind of cool kind of cool yeah but i've had very yeah very little uh success with with stuff eventually i got involved in film with some people who had kind of success that's mostly where i've seen that with friends yeah and uh in in filmmaking world but that is a whole different thing but in what i understand you do some acting and is it kind of all manner of capacity that you've worked in kind of film or has it been kind of more specific yeah i've only done kind of accidentally been doing any acting okay or uh i got involved in some films and people you know i'm not really it's not something i'm really pursuing sure and uh i don't really like it that much and i don't think i'm that good at it (laughs) okay i like learned a little bit while i was doing it sure there's a few things i'm not embarrassed about right but i was i was you know i had a zine called american job and then this Mm -hmm. filmmaker named chris smith i met in iowa city his first feature film was called america he based it on the zine Oh wow! We just, you know, when he wanted to make a feature film, we got together, yeah, and planned it out. So that's how kind of how he's where he started his filmmaking career. Yeah. And then the second one was American Movie, which did really well. I love that. And, I love uh, that movie. <laughs> so American Jobs not is not even available now okay. anywhere that I know of. Sure. People are asking me all the t- time, and uh, it's just not. And sure. so, you know, it'll be streaming eventually. Like yeah. Everything. Right. Uh, I suppose, but so that that I I feel like it's still I still like that I feel like it holds up as a mo- movie yeah and when we were planning it he wanted me to act in it and it's just going through all these minimum wage low wage jobs sure there's like five different jobs in the in the course of the movie and I I told him that I I said he should get an actor and get some you know if he's going to put all this effort and time into it right but he insisted that I be in it and. Okay. Um, and then I feel like I did okay as far as the acting, yeah. Um, which was was mainly being in situations that were very familiar to me and sure. had living a lot and kind of re- reacting with to other people, right? So it wasn't it wasn't scripted and it wasn't learning lines and trying to make them right. seem real, right? Which is a real you know it's a real skill, a real totally. learned thing that actors learn, yeah. And I never have so. Yeah, that's why I don't really consider myself an actor. I just I hear you. Happened to be in a few movies where I've had an odd thing. Re- I have a couple friends. One of my good friends is a filmmaker, and um, and another friend, a real uh, great writer, and and has been doing some like screenplays or um, just some writing in that capacity. And uh, and I've been surprised. I've never like I've never had like a real desire to act or something like that. But had a recent like. 
I found recently, I was like, man, it'd be fun to work with these guys. And like, I've been trying to think about in terms of this, some of this music and, you know, you make music videos and things like that. And I've just been like thinking a little bit about how to do that in a way that seems more interesting to me or something that feels a little bit more um, creative. And I have these friends who have these skills and I'm like, man, maybe we should write, write like a little, you know, short film or something like mm -hmm. that and and there's part of me that was like kind of interested in maybe acting in it which is very surprising to me because it feels like like that's not i haven't had interest, any interest in that regard before um yeah it could be it could be fun. you could maybe really like it yeah it's it's i'm always just curious about those like developing tastes or developing interests that mm -hmm. kind of come out of nowhere that oh yeah i try to pay attention to that because mm -hmm. it seems authentic or seems like like wow okay i guess maybe i want to try acting mm -hmm. that's a surprise some people are, are just really good on camera too and you, you, you regardless of their acting skill and you don't know why really it's just yeah. this weird thing that just some people were really good you really like watching them on film right. and, and other and not or not and also it's like the, i there's movies with with terrible acting that i love so i mean it's not totally. it's not like you'd have to Right, and it's a, that's a little bit of the punk rock thing too, where, sure. where you're, you know, like you know, it's like John Waters. Yeah, like I love Pink Flamingos, and that's got the worst acting of all time. But it's I love that movie. Isn't that wild? I I find that with like in all art forms, the incredible that you can find, like the incredible like spectrum of good of great art, like in yeah. terms of the like technical on the one side the tech like incredible technical proficiency and like of whatever your art form is on the other side like just raw creativity um i don't know maybe those aren't the two poles but yeah. but the idea being that like there's great stuff on both ends of these mm -hmm. things you oh, know yeah. um and that yeah th that's just wild to me and then finding those parts where it's because it's so it feels so like what what is it how is this like so incredible when the guy can't even like draw this painting so incredible he can barely draw a line and this mm -hmm. guy's like wildly technically proficient and it's a lot kind of a lifeless kind of painting or whatever mm -hmm. you know or similarly just like i don't know i I've, i'm a real believer that like ultimately having that energy and like creativity will always trump technical proficiency if you have to choose yeah. one or the other right. oh yeah you know yeah i think i was i you know when i was younger i was really more towards the 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 uh end of i like things that are raw and sure um, I, I i would things that were with the virtuosity i would kind of make fun of but sure. the older i get the more i appreciate virtuosity too yeah and you realize that it can be both yeah it and, doesn't um, have to be yeah, it just being you know the virtuoso thing doesn't have to ruin anything and it, right. and it can be something you really like yeah um yeah I mean, I feel the same. I, like I more and more with songwriting, I just I love the craft of it, and so people who, and just personally love like trying to dive deeper into it and be, be as like, because there's just so much potential in the, you know, crafting these tight layered ideas and lyrics and arrangements that I don't know maybe most people are just experiencing at an incredibly surface level and that's fine. But, mm -hmm. but like for me, I re I just have, the more and more I get into it, I find these songwriters or musicians where you're like, you just sense the craft and the depth of what they're expressing. And that just knocks me out, you know? Um, right. uh, 
And I, yeah, same as I've gotten older, maybe the, I've just appreciated that more and more. How long have you been writing songs? Just thinking about that the other day. And I, I started when I was 12, I'm 34. So come January, I'll be, it'll be my 23rd year of songwriting. That's funny. That's the, that's the the age I say when I started writing songs, 12. I mean, I don't don't know if it was actually it or not, but my brother and I, we started, we got like cassette recorders and we had a band. We, you know, we, we said, we're going to make a record. Yeah. And we started doing it before we had proper instruments yeah I hear we, had you. The, we had the piano yeah the auto harp <laughs> and some pots and pans and a yeah. gong <laughs> totally totally yeah similar i i had we had guitars in the house and i maybe knew two chords and but i just started that was and but i but before that I had already made like a quote-unquote band with my friend which mm-hmm. was basically us just like fantasizing about it and writing fake song titles right <laughs> and then i think we tried to write a song yeah with like pots and pans and i think he had a bass guitar and i had a electric guitar that i'd gotten a couple of years before and thought to r- learn but never learned i just liked right. the idea yeah. of having it and yeah, we um, wanted we really wanted a guitar and my my mom had had a acoustic guitar and then we uh, smashed when we were younger oh, no. and she said you shouldn't have smashed by a guitar <laughs> it took us a long time before we actually got all of a guitar but it was, yeah, I think when you you can record stuff for one thing, it's it's the kind of magical when totally. you first when you're a little kid and you can record. Yeah, and that becomes the thing you're you want to keep doing. You want to do it, and you realize it's, yeah. it it takes on a different life than just making the noise. Yeah, it's real to get that perspective outside of your body of what you're making. <laughs> it's kind of a crazy thing. Were you in, in bands then early on? And when you're, um, you just I have two yourself? brothers um, who we do some like singing together. And as like a, my family, my folks are real musical. And, you know, my mom would have us like sing at, do like a family thing at my grandma's church over Christmas time or something like oh, that. Okay. So there was a lot of music going on. Um, but like I, I grew up in this little town called Amory, Wisconsin, and there wasn't a huge like culture of kids making bands, you know? So mm-hmm. I kind of wrangled a f- one friend of mine who learned the bass. Um, and then we found this kid kind of in a neighboring town who played drums. And so for like briefly, we had like a proper band. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that kind of fizzled pretty quick. And so for me, but I was writing songs all the time and, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to college. College is where you find a band. And so that was like a really primary uh, goal for me when I'm, moved to Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which proved to have like a, a long history of a band culture, both because the university has a real strong music program. So a lot of kids were coming to town for that. And then also the the kids who grew up in Eau Claire and the surrounding towns, there was also just like a real rich band oh, kind of okay. history and culture yeah. there. And so I really stepped into, a, from my perspective, a really fertile like space for that. Um, so I kind of, yeah, that's pretty, within maybe my sophomore year, I met uh, my friend Jesse, and then um, within that year, who plays drums, and then my brother Jason came in on bass, and we started this band called the Daredevil Christopher Wright, and did that for about nine years or something like that. Oh, wow. So that's a band for a while then. Yeah. yeah. Yep. In the last four years of it, we were doing it full time and running around a lot, and 
and stuff. So, so were you the principal songwriter, or did you all write songs? Yeah, I was the principal. Although my brother Jason also um, wrote some too. Um, so between the two of us, but um, yeah, I I wrote the majority. Um, but it was a real democratic kind of thing. We Jesse's a real music head and has real you know great tastes and stuff too. So whoever would bring the song it was kind of uh, we established a pattern where i was like everybody has the right to kind of tear it down and build it back up kind of thing it was just like everybody has equal say sort of thing um so which by and large i think was a created some you know some is bigger than its parts kind of mm -hmm. um uh music but um it also means that everything takes a lot longer when you're collaborating like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so since since then, starting to do stuff under my own name and as a kind of solo thing, I, part of the desire I, when I started doing that was like, I just want to be the only guy who has to sign off on something. And <laughs> right. That's that's how I felt about a lot of stuff too. Too. Yeah. It's like I love. It's great collaborating with people, but sometimes you want to just go at your own pace. Yeah. And you don't want people slowing you down, or, or it's just nice to be able to be the one making the final decisions. Yeah, I or, I think I've definitely come to the conclusion that whatever my like creative ecosystem, I think I always need to have some outlet where that is the case. You know, mm -hmm. um, I want to collaborate also, and and I'm open to other kind of s structures, but I think I always need some outlet yeah, where it's going to be just me. Just be me making the thing, and you know. Well, I've seen you play twice now in, in yeah. Milwaukee, and the one was with the band, yeah. and then the other last night was so, solo. So, you, you do both do both of those regularly? Yeah, yeah. Um, both because I think those two iterations are I, I like I enjoy both of them. You know, in terms mm -hmm. of like what is what you can do with that, and uh, what you can ex explore as a band, and then also solo and then also just the economics of it are really helpful in terms of at my level you basically make the same amount if you're playing solo or as a band mm -hmm. and so yeah. <laughs> uh, just the reality of it is i need to um it typically is about like a third of the shows with the band and then two-thirds mm -hmm. two-thirds solo um and i i mean i'm i'm most excited right now of what where the where we're getting as a band and so i'd love to be um be able to keep those guys on the road and get them money, money they need and stuff like that. Um, because I really love what we're doing. Um, and I'm working in that direction to make that more of a possibility, but yeah. Have you found that, have you found the songwriting has gotten easier or harder as you got older? Mm -hmm. that's what I, I think about that a lot. Yeah. You know, it's been interesting. I've been reflecting that, like, I really feel like I'm writing the, best stuff i've written right now and i find it's just kind of flowing a lot right now and i can't tell if that's like indicating that is like a forever change that it's always going to be like moving like this but mm -hmm. or if it's just like right now i'm in a kind of fertile well, like, that's good yeah. time yeah. um but it's just i mean i still bang my head against the wall and you know if things get stuck and you know the same like frustrations are still there. Although I think I've just kind of gained a, enough perspective where I'm a, 
the highs aren't or the lows aren't quite as low, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm right. kind of questioning if it's ever, I'm never going to write a thing again. I don't really question that anymore, you know? Um, and so, yeah, think for me anyway, right now it's, it's a really fertile time. And it seems like if I just get some, some time, which I try to most days or definitely every week to just sit down and try to make, write something. Yeah. Sometimes it's just deciding times. to focus on it. Yeah. You say, like, yeah. Like if you you could start you get song fragments ideas, mm-hmm. and that it might go nowhere. I found with songs more than a lot of other writing things that if you that if you have to start something and follow it through, or it's just going to be gone and hard, coming back to that. It's kind of you come back to it and there's nothing there. Sure. But if you follow it through and just put in the time working on it, yeah, it makes a difference. I'm a real believer in the time principle. You know, of just like just make space for it, you know, get to the table kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like that whole idea, it's been very comforting to me to think like, you know, you know, whatever the lightning striking inspiration is like a sliver of the process and 99% of it is just diligently working at it and keeping after it and giving time mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Um, and it's, which has been a nice kind of like change of perspective for me in that it's like, well, I can do, I can work on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't control the like crazy clouds parting and like incredible insight happening kind of thing. But if mm-hmm. I, I can create an environment where that's more like that's maybe more likely to happen or I'm prepared for it when it does happen. Um, but for me, one of the things that's been a kind of cool thing is I over the last, I don't know, for quite a while since I started using, I use GarageBand to demo. Um, and I've just basically gotten into the habit of recording everything, like every idea. Oh, um, okay. And the neat thing about that is it like takes, it helps push the editor, like the negative editor in my head off. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, I just kind of follow it until the en- energy runs out. And then if I, I just like put it down, but I have this little archive of it and like a couple times a year, I'll go back through and just like, listen to, listen to chunks of ideas and little things and, and a lot of stuff has come out of that actually, like being struck by something that was like maybe at the time I felt like, oh, I don't know, it's okay. Oh, that's good. And then yeah. like I hit on something again and a year later it does have like new energy and I and it and it kinda comes out. And so that's been kind of an interest neat change for me creatively and, and just becoming more comfortable in the light of that with like the time, like things just take forever. I was like, if it doesn't happen in a month, this thing's probably dead mm-hmm. kind of thing. But yeah. But now I'm much more patient with that um, in that I've found that I can come back to things and and they do turn into something, which is pretty cool. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Songs are, it's interesting because they have, they have the, the music and then <laughs> yeah. the subject, the lyrics. Yeah. Do you, are there like areas with lyrically that you, that become more inspirational? I mean, I've had the, the typical thing of like, I would be in. I would have a breakup. Sure, and that's yeah. the, you know, that's the right. most difficult thing there is. But it's really true. That's where so yeah. many songs come come out of. Yeah. Oh, totally. You know, love, kind of existential, big existential questions. Um, I mean, those are big topics for me. You know, I, I think a lot of like, um, yeah, kind of exploring both my, both like the beauty of things and the questions and things. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very broad, broad thing is, uh, 
you know, I kind of tread in that territory. I'd say a lot of it like philosophy and spirituality and just questions around that or like, uh, and then how, I mean, how that applies to relationship, like those, that tends to be waters I tread in pretty mm -hmm. regularly. Um, although sometimes I'll get like a topic that I feel like it will feel like I'll generally, I don't have the intention to begin with, but I'll start writing something that seems like it's like pointing to a topic that I just, I, as I think about it, I'm like, well, this doesn't seem to be written out about very much. And so like, I have a tune on this record. I'm where I'm finishing up. Um, that kind of came out of this notion. I started going to therapy um, after, well, as a result of a bunch of stuff, but um, but realized that like I hadn't really shared like anxiety, depression stuff, and hadn't really shared some of that with my closest friends, you know, like they, oh, yeah. and then learned in sharing that, like they felt comfortable to share some like burdens that they're carrying that I had no idea. And just the tragedy I was thinking of like, these are my closest friends. Of course, I don't want them to be isolated in there struggle and the fact that I don't know that is like tragic to me um and so and it was like really great to finally like deepen our friendship in that way that they we we trusted each other with these things and right. made it okay to like care for each other in this way and so I wrote this song that's basically about that like um it's called I love you you're my friend and it's just basically encouraging a friend to like you can tell me you don't have to be scared. I'm going to reject you or something mm -hmm. or, or that you're so broken that I wouldn't understand. It's like, we're very much the same kind of thing. And I felt like I hadn't really heard that sentiment being written about um, in that way. And so sometimes that kind of thing will happen that, that feels exciting to me where it's like, you feel kind of pushed to this space that's kind of vulnerable where you're like, oh, maybe if I can open up about this myself, it seems to be touching a corner that a lot of people don't aren't really like comfortable moving into. Um, and those kind of particularly feel exciting to me just cause it feels right, like, yeah. oh, this is a different perspective. It seems like. Yeah. And people, yeah, people will hear that and realize that it's not something they've heard a lot. And yeah, I think, I think so. people can connect so. to that. Yeah. And so sometimes that'll happen. Like I would say that's not the vast majority of things, but sometimes it seems like things, the topic leads into areas that um, like, just haven't been explored all that much or all that frequently in my experience um, anyway. But there's another one. I wrote this song called um, I'm Gonna Disappoint You that was about, it was like a take on a love song that I'd never heard before where it was mm -hmm. like basically like I'm gonna disappoint you someday uh, and you're gonna disappoint me too. Right. And yeah, knowing like, that, like are that you still song. up for yeah. trying mm -hmm. this thing? Um, Rather than that perspective of like the love song that is like, you are everything, right. it will always be yeah. this way kind of thing. Um, and that was another instance where it was like, but it wasn't like a surrender, like we're not going to do this. It was just like, I'm going to disappoint you, but I still, I'm still out for giving this a try if you are kind of thing, mm -hmm. which felt like a take on love that I hadn't really heard before. So that was another one where I was like, oh, this feels energized in that way. Yeah, that's a good song. Yeah. Yeah. Reminded me of that movie. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Have uh, you seen that movie? Yeah, totally. It's that movie's it's interesting because it's very debatable in a way. Yeah, um, I've had, I went through thinking one thing about it and changing to another. Where huh. where it was, one was more cynical. Okay, you know the cynical thing of like we're just going to keep make the same mistakes over and over. Yeah, yeah. Or the other more 
positive way. Like I know, no things are going to be a problem, but yeah. I still want to do it. Yeah. It's yeah. Worth it still. Um, and I, I like that level of nuance that you're presenting in that mm-hmm. thing. I, I just appreciate that. And if you can do that in an artful way, which I think eternal sunshine is very artful, you know, it's like, yeah. and that it leaves you with that weird nuanced debate about like, okay, is this, is, I think this is real, but then it's like, is that what I think? Or, you know, I'm inspired by, by art that can, can kind of hit those notes. Yeah. You know? Well, I guess we're getting to the end of our time here and we're going to try a segment here about a, um, psychic connection. Okay, we're going to yeah. try and determine if we, the psychic connection that we might have, even though we um, really only recently met, but that doesn't matter. So I want to start out with a. We have a coin. You have a coin there. Um, it's a. It's, it's got two different sides, heads and tails. It's not a <laughs> trick coin. Just pick a one side, and I want to see how how many times it takes me to try and guess the uh, side that. You, so concentrate on one or the other. Okay. Is that uh, tails? No. Okay. Well, try it again. Uh, maybe I'd better. Uh, tails? Yes. Okay. That's pretty good. We got, um, it seems like we have established a psychic connection now on that coin. And now you have a, a deck of cards there, which is a, a, a those are the these five classic um, psychic uh, symbols. I forgot the name of those cards. I think it's Zenner or something like that. Zenner cards. Um, there's a star, wait, three wavy lines, square, circle, and a um, something else. A plus sign. A plus a plus sign. Okay, so so pick one, and I'll try and I'm going to concentrate on the one that you're that you're you're thinking about. Um, three wavy lines. That's right. Okay. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, that's a. Wow. Yeah, I think we, we've got <laughs> we something linked here. linked up here. So now we're going to go to a much more difficult test. This is a deck of 52 playing cards, but they're different cocktails. Each card has a um, cocktail theme with um, ingredients and instructions. But So I'm going to so pick one of those cocktails out, and um, I'm going to concentrate on it. Would it be uh, Gimlet? Uh, no, it is not. So what cocktail did you put there? We've got the Bronx cocktail. Bronx cocktail. I'm not even familiar with that. <laughs> that's a uh, that's one ounce gin, a half ounce dry vermouth, half ounce sweet vermouth, juice of one fourth orange, and then you uh, shake well and strain into cocktail glass. Okay, that's a lot. that's one of those rare cocktails that uses dry vermouth and sweet vermouth. <laughs> it, um, probably why you have. Somebody out there who's their favorite cocktail is the Bronx cocktail, <laughs> I guess. So this is their their day when they hear this. <laughs> well, that so that one didn't. We're going to try one more, and this is even more difficult. So be thinking of a category of um, something in culture, and or, or something it could be like a TV show, a song, uh, some food or dish or movie. Tell me the category, and I'm going to try and guess it. Okay, it's a it's a movie. A movie. Okay. Um, all right. Let me. I'm gonna. I'm thinking now. I'm trying to keep making noise while I'm thinking since this is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't give me any clues. Uh, Fully that thinking. Yeah, would it be? Um, let's see. 
I, I'm just kind of think. Making uh, um, a sense of genre. Yeah, I'm thinking of well, um, Nashville. Uh no. Okay, what movie, what movie was it? Um, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day, which happens to be my <laughs> yeah. favorite movie of all. Time. So your favorite movie? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that movie. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I, I've. The, I can never kind of. I've seen it multiple times, and I can't ever remember it. <laughs> it's <a laughs> weird thing. Like it, no, it's it's weird. You you, yeah. you think you? I mean, you kind of know the basic idea of it, right? Right. And you watch it again, and you go like, "This is really not how I was remembering it at all." <laughs> and, That's awesome. And I still can't remember the the ending. Like, if I had to say the ending of it, sure. And and I've I've had the feeling where, where both it was a disappointing ending and the perfect ending yeah and i and i can't even say it. I've, I've seen it i feel like i've seen it a dozen times yeah and i still can't remember that's perfect that, that actually, is, yeah, it is, yeah it is yeah it's a great movie <laughs> it is a great one well thanks for um guest hosting today yeah it was my pleasure it was nice talking thanks to you having me on